Welcome to Modern Day Missionaries, a podcast by Modern Day Missions created for missionaries by missionaries, where we talk about topics that affect our actual life on the mission field. This is a space where we get practical and personal and talk about the day-to-day real challenges and joys of this crazy life God has called us into. I'm your host, fellow missionary, Stephanie Gutierrez. Nick Lesmeister exposes three common thought patterns that most people are unaware of and that the enemy uses to hold us back in missions and in life. Welcome to this episode of Modern Day Missionaries. Today, we have my friend Nick Lesmeister with us. Nick, I could not be happier to have you here with us today. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's great to be here, Stephanie. It's an honor to be on this podcast. I've been following it for a while now, and you just do an amazing job. So I'm really grateful to be here. Ah, thanks. We're honored to have you. And I just want to share a little bit about Nick with y'all. Nick is the executive pastor for church and Jewish relations at Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas, which is Pastor Robert and Debbie Morris's church. And he's also the executive director of Gateway Center for Israel. And Nick and his team there help steward over 250 different global ministry partnerships that are related to Israel, to the Jewish people, all for Gateway Church. And so just Love the work that you do there, Nick. It's it's pretty incredible. I've gotten to see some of the videos that you guys put out on a weekly basis. I know you were in Israel all the time. Thank you for what you do in that space. Oh, yeah. It's an honor to serve Pastor Robert and really serve the body of uh, Jewish believers worldwide who are growing. And we, we, we just really feel thankful to be in relationship from, with them and learn from them. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah. and And beyond that, you have a heart for missions. So not just for Israel, not just for the church, but you work with missionaries regularly. You've lived overseas yourself. And Nick is a brilliant leader. And so what he's going to share with us today, I believe it's really going to sharpen our minds and our hearts. But Nick, beforehand, before we get started, I want to let people get to know you a little bit more. So I'm going to shoot some unprepared. I mean, you don't know these are coming. Rapid fire questions are way. I don't. Full disclosure, I have not seen this list of questions, so we are going to get raw, unedited responses. Yes, this <laughs> which is what I love. Be dangerous. <laughs> okay, Nick, here we go. Which do you prefer, socks or barefoot? Definitely socks. Socks. What kind of socks do you like? Uh, usually like ankle cut. Uh, honestly, I, I, I'm a. This is a thing for me. So, uh, if if I have to take a trip, you talked about going on mission trips. Yeah, I will change my socks before I change any other article of clothing. They have to be changed first. So yeah, I'm a socks person. I don't even okay, walk so- around in my own home barefoot. It's nasty. I don't, I'm not doing that. <laughs> okay, so in your carry-on, there are certainly extra socks. Yes. Every time. Yes, there are. Okay. All right. Next one. Nick, ocean, river, or lake? Uh, river. River. Yeah. Is there a particular river? Uh, no, I think that uh, I have learned as I've gotten older, I just turned 40, that to recharge, one of the things that just recharges me in nature is running water. So I do love the ocean, but at the same time, it's sticky and it's humid. And I like yeah. rivers because you can get to dry, cool places with rivers. I so, like that. I like yeah. that. Okay, Nick, worst food you've ever tried? Oh, my goodness. The worst food I've ever tried? Uh, okay. We're talking, this is a missions podcast. I was in Ethiopia (laughs) about 10 years ago and we were in someone's home. And as all of you missionaries know, when you're in the home of an indigenous person that you're building relationship with, you just eat what they put before you. 
So I'm eating and then a dish comes and it has a very red color. Let me just put it like that. And it's blobby. And I found out later that it was basically ground up sheep intestines. So oh my gosh. And definitely the worst it. food I've ever ate. Yeah. And you did eat it. Yeah. Thank God I didn't get sick. I don't know how. I don't know how. You know, I did the whole trick where you push it around the plate, but yeah, they were pretty insistent that I consume it. And I just said, Lord, in Jesus name, here we go. <laughs> Props to you. I feel like you're, you're getting some street cred right now here with all the missionaries. They're like, yes, he is one of us. <laughs> I have, I've, I've been around the block. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nick. What movie did you watch on repeat as a kid? Oh, man. Uh, okay, there's a movie that first comes to my mind that I'm not going to say because I don't want my <laughs> credibility to go down. Um, probably my favorite movie when I... Okay, this is going to... Oh, my head is going in so many different directions. I watched Chitty Bang Bang a lot. That was one I watched a lot. Okay, yeah. vintage. Yeah, very vintage. Yeah. Yeah. The other one that it just came flying into my head. This is going to betray where I grew up a little bit, but was Days of Thunder. I don't even know if anybody knows that, but it was a movie about NASCAR. It was probably Tom Cruise's worst decision in his professional career, where he played a NASCAR driver. But uh, my uncle owned a dirt track race car in western rural minnesota and we would grow we would go to the racetrack every weekend so i was fascinated with race cars so yeah. okay so that was pretty cool to you at that time yeah oh big time uh-huh oh, yeah and the, and okay. he drove the number 42 mellow yellow which you know as a kid i love mellow yellow i mean we're deep cutting now i mean oh yeah i wasn't a mountain dew fan that was for that was for jokers you know mellow yellow was was the legit mellow drink yellow yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what's one book you're reading right now? I'm reading a book called Hatch 67. It's about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict post-Six-Day War, which happened in June of 1967. And it dives into this sort of almost irreparable divide between the Israeli right wing and the Israeli left wing and looks at some different uh, practical ways of what... Uh, he's a Jewish author named Mika Goodman, and he's suggesting... Instead of looking at ending the conflict in Israel, we should look at shrinking, how to shrink the conflict. So it's it's pretty fascinating. That sounds fascinating. I can yeah. already hear a few people probably jotting that down, wanting to add it to their reading list. He's a, he's a phenomenal uh, uh, philosopher. Yeah. Mika Good or Micah, Mika Goodman. Yeah. yeah. And so you guys lived in Jerusalem for a time, right? Was it you and Tabitha that both lived there? Yeah. Yeah, we did. We moved there in twenty, the fall of 2014 so I could do a master's degree at Hebrew University, uh, the Hebrew University. It's not a school that only teaches Hebrew. It's just it's like the main university in Israel. And uh, our daughter was three when we moved there. And then we had a surprise in heading our, our second was born there, our son, in, wow. in 2015. So you guys have lived cross-culturally. You had We did. Yeah, we were. We lived in the Middle East and and we really experienced the tension of it. We were there when uh, there were a lot of terrorist attacks and just got to live the reality of, of a lot of people and really began to understand what it was like, you know, to be a Jewish and Arab citizen of Israel. Yeah. And having a baby overseas. I mean, that makes you extra legit right there. <laughs> yeah, that, that was not planned. So that was yeah, that's a whole nother story. But it was exciting nonetheless. Yeah. OK, let's talk for a second about your passion for an involvement with missions, because Nick, you helped birth Modern Day back when it began in 2008, and you're you're still on the board at this point. Yeah, you love I love missionaries. 
I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I just was telling a colleague of mine today, uh, I'm so proud of modern day. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I maybe you and I were emailing about this or maybe it was me talking to Marvin, but I just I keep thinking of modern day as sort of like little modern day <laughs> because for so long it was just like some little dream that we had. We never imagined that it would grow into what it has grown into today. And you, Stephanie, have been such a key part of, of helping modern day grow into even greater areas to help missionaries. But this is what was in our heart when Marvin and I were young and in our 20s and Elias was younger. And, you know, we just were just dreaming of a day where missionaries could focus on doing what God called them to do and didn't have to deal with all of the headache of uh, raising money and donation okay. receipts. And so it just was how we felt God showed us to, we could play a part in just greasing the wheels for missions, you know, and helping missionaries accomplish what they need to do and taking the burden off of churches as well to begin to be able to kind of send missionaries and focus more on the relationship component and less on the, on the administrative side. So I've been, it, it's, it's really one of, to me, one of my most proud achievements in life uh, is just being a part of it. Well, and it should be. I'm glad you feel that way because, I mean, as modern-day missionaries ourselves for the last, you know, eight or nine years, I am so grateful that it exists. I really am. I mean, any institution or organization that's helping get missionaries on the field when we need them more than ever, I'm so, so blessed by it. And, and that really, I think, is how this conversation got started today when you and I were talking you really had some things that you felt like you wanted to share with missionaries. Again, you've got that perspective. You've got the heart for it. You've lived cross-culturally. And when I had asked you what was going on in your heart in terms of what you wanted to share, you knew right away. It, it just came flying out of you. And you told me it was three self-limiting beliefs that are robbing you slowly. And, I mean, I wanted to pull out my notebook right then and there. And so I'd love to just jump into those and hear... Um, what about this topic of self-limiting beliefs rang so true for you when you thought about how it applies to missionaries and global workers? Well, yeah, you mentioned in the intro that I oversee a team and we relate to around 250 different uh, Jewish ministry partnerships. So another way of calling that is missionaries, missions organizations, if you want to say it like that. Mm -hmm. And so I interact with missionaries every day. And, uh, and, and leaders of organizations. And, and I led a not missions nonprofit uh, after I moved home from Jerusalem for about four years. And so I got to experience firsthand just the, the pressure and uh, the reality of fundraising and living, you know, on a fundraised budget and doing all the things of casting vision and, you know, m managing projects internationally. We were active in 12 different countries this organization and all over the world from Asia to Africa, to Europe, to South America. And so I, I learned through my own experiences of leading that organization, what was on my heart to share today, just what is a self-limiting belief. And a lot of what I went through, I learned in a process that was facilitated for me uh, by Dr. John Townsend. And um, I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of some of these leadership capacities that were limiting me personally, which then in turn limited the fruitfulness of the organization. And I just was more focused on, you know, okay, what's the vision? What's the budget? What's the strategic plan? Kind of all the things that I learned more from my previous career in the business world. 
And then I began to slowly realize, wait, there's some things actually in my own character structure, like internally for me. And, and that's actually what's limiting my own personal growth, the growth of my own personal relationships and the growth of my professional relationships, and then ultimately the growth of my ministry. And so now sitting in the seat that I do at Gateway, this is sort of a recurring issue that I see with other leaders. Uh, it's kind of a pervasive thing. So that's why I, I even titled it like I did, because I feel that there are some self-limiting beliefs and what they do is they really do rob you slowly, almost unaware. You're almost unaware of them. And a lot of times they're hard to put your finger on. And so I hope that I've learned some things and I, I'm just sharing this because I learned this, I see this happening a lot in the missions world. So hopefully it just brings some clarity and kind of lifts a burden off some people and gives gives them some fresh faith and hope um, on maybe some things they're sorting through. Yeah. Okay. So so you've experienced this personally by identifying these self-limiting beliefs in you. And so putting them into, into place in your life has really changed things. And then you've also been able to share them as a leader with other leaders and see the transformation that's taken place in them. So, okay, at this point, I mean, we're primed. I really would like to hear number one. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, I think it's good to start and just kind of define it's a it's a it's a little yes. bit of a clinical term. What's a self-limiting belief? And Michael Hyatt, who's a really prolific, you know, a business coach, he defines a self-limiting belief as an understanding of the present that shortchanges our future. And they're basically thoughts and paradigms of thinking that influence the way that we live. They're assumptions, perceptions that we have about ourselves and the way that the world works that can be rooted in a past experience. They can be developed by comments we hear about ourselves from others. They can be developed by values, um, you know, stories that we've told ourselves that haven't been necessarily challenged. Uh, this is something I talk about a lot with, with leaders when we define what a self-limiting belief is, is I just ask them, maybe I'll hear them say something like, well, I just don't think that we're going to be able to have the resources necessary to accomplish X, Y, Z. And I'll just just kindly say, who told you that? You know, where did you hear that? And a lot of times, especially as it relates to us, we might say, well, oh, I just don't have it in me to do this, or I don't have that kind of faith, you know, or I always mess this up, you know, stuff like this, right? These are things that all of us say. And it's just great sometimes to think, wait, where did that come from? Like, who told me that? It wasn't God. God wouldn't say that. He doesn't speak like that. And when we read his word, we learn that. And so then, well, Maybe, maybe I heard it from a friend, you know, but ultimately that voice usually comes from that story usually comes from the voice of, of God's adversary, the enemy, you know, the devil. And, uh, and so it's just this idea that we all have this internal voice that's spewing these self-limiting beliefs that we develop and we kind of hold on to them and they do affect our trajectory. So the first one that I learned first, I probably have had the hardest time integrating into my own life is that this idea that vulnerability is weakness. And if you think about this, most leaders aren't naturally vulnerable. And most of the things that we have prized as sort of leadership qualities are the antithesis of vulnerability. It's sort of this idea of like the leader's supposed to know everything. You're supposed to always have a plan. The plan's always supposed to work. <laughs> you know, you're always supposed to have an answer for things. You're never supposed to be sad. You're never supposed to be lonely. You're never supposed to be, you know, uh, without an answer about what the Bible says about this or whatever. And so the idea of vulnerability and like exposing what we're feeling or what's actually going on inside of us, it, we develop this belief that that's weakness. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's totally robs us when we think about it that way. 
vulnerability really is uh, the greatest tool sometimes that we can have. And, and I think of um, an example from my own life. I was, I was leading this ministry and we had had a donor who had been giving money for quite a few years towards a specific initiative. And it was, it was in a country that was really sensitive and we couldn't get the funds to this country. And so a lot of people might be able to relate to this. So we, we didn't have an advanced accounting structure at this organization I was leading. And so the money just went into a bank account. And, and so time went by and the, the leader of the ministry in this other country never really requested the funds. Well, then all of a sudden the donor uh, wrote in and said, hey, um, we need to get money over to this country. You know, and I found out that it's not being sent. What's going on? Well, we had amassed, let's say 50, I think it was like 50 to $75,000. And that was sort of owed on a balance, you know, and well, it was just at a point in the month where our cash flow was low. And so the bottom line is the donor said, I want that money to come back and I'm going to send it over there. Well, I didn't, we didn't have the funds to return his donations. So what did I do? I had some money set aside in like an emergency thing. And I put it into the organization as like a temporary loan to try to get us through. I didn't tell my board. I didn't tell my overseer. I just thought I'm going to fix this problem, you know, and I, I don't want anybody to see that I didn't know what I was doing. That would be catastrophic in my mind. That didn't work. And so ultimately I had to write an email to uh, the board and just say, look, guys, this is what's going on. And uh, we don't have the money. And I'll never forget that it, it was really hard for me to do that. And about three hours later, I got a phone call from one of our, our board members who is a wealthy person. And they just said, Nick, I read your email. And they said, no one should have to feel what you're feeling and be under the weight of debt. And we're sending in a check tomorrow to pay that debt off. Wow. And I, I remember where I was sitting, Stephanie, because I felt like this is so backwards. Like I just admitted my own weakness to you. And now just like that, I'm getting to experience the reward of it. So it really showed me that, man, the people love me and they didn't expect me to be perfect. I thought that they expected me to, perfect, me to be perfect, but they didn't. And so my lack of being vulnerable was actually holding me back from being able to engage our, my donors to like really walk with me and say, what are your, what are your needs? Like, where are you stuck? And I didn't want to tell them where I was stuck. I wanted them to think I had the great plan and everything. And so, um, I, that, that's number one, that, that the self-limiting belief that if I'm vulnerable, I'm going to get hurt for it, or it's going to be perceived as weakness. And, and that's really significant, Nick, because I, missionaries, I think, deal with that on a huge basis. Yeah. I think every leader, to your point, really can struggle with vulnerability. It, it's become a little bit, um, I don't want to use the word trendy, but it's become more acceptable. I think thanks to people like Brene Brown, who are encouraging, and a lot of other yeah. people too, are, are encouraging people to open up, to be honest, to share what's really going on. But even in that space, I think in the mission space, it's scary because your finances depend on people giving to you. And so the wrong step and you could lose a donor. And so you hope that it's going to be a best case scenario, like what you said. But vulnerability always carries risk. But to your point, I think a lot of times we assume that people are going to react a lot more poorly 
than they actually do when there is real relationship there. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And and it, you do need to be wise. You know, you shouldn't just, you know, cast out an email to all your donors. You know, it says, oh, the, the house is on fire and I'm thinking about leaving my family or something. You know what I mean? We yeah. have to be we have to be sensitive. But all of us, if we really look at who our key friends are, who our key supporters are, they care about us. They're invested in us. And yeah. the reason why they're supporting us financially or walking with us is because, yes, they're excited about our mission. But I've really found you know, even in sitting in my chair, when a leader comes to me and says, hey, we need X amount of dollars to do this project. And I begin to ask them some questions. Well, how are you doing personally? And they begin to open up to me. My heart is more moved to help them on the basis of, I just want to walk with you. I want to put courage in your tank. And okay, sure, we'll help with this project. It's important. Wonderful. But you are important. You know, God mm. gave you the vision. God gave you the mission. And Yes, the things that you do with your hands are important, but if you're not healthy, then none of this matters. And so all of us need to just kind of remind ourselves that there are people in our lives that are in our corner. They're with us. And a lot of times it just rises and falls on our willingness to really open up and take a risk and share some things that are hard. And I've almost always seen God uh, bless people when they do that, you know, really meet their need, find acceptance and uh, and and really get a deeper relationship with people. And it's just so much more personally healthy. Well, and it's the right decision to make regardless of the outcome. Because if we right. don't, if we aren't vulnerable, what's motivating that? It's fear, tons yeah. of fear. It could be shame. Um, it, there's not pride. It could be pride. There's not something positive behind that. If we're not being vulnerable, if we're hiding things, if we have secrets, I think that reveals to us something about us. And maybe yeah. it reveals something to us about the kind of relationships we have. Do we not have people in our corner? Do we need to develop yeah. some new healthy relationships? And we're not being vulnerable looking for yes men and yes women. Yeah. We're being vulnerable looking for people who can speak the truth into our lives in love. Yeah. And maybe it is like, hey, all of my people who are in my corner are telling me it's time for me to get off the field or there's a huge issue in my life I need to fix. Well, what value is that to me to hide that? Right. No, yeah. I got to deal with that. So you yeah. can't lose with vulnerability, even if it looks like you do. Yeah, initially. absolutely. It's true. And and I think I, I had grown really good at transparency. I was good at making it seem like I was being vulnerable, you know, and a lot of people are are more comfortable just being transparent. And the distinctive between transparency and vulnerability is what you just said, Stephanie, is vulnerability is essentially putting yourself out there with the risk that someone actually might not accept you or might do something with that information that could be bad for you. But that's where most of us have people in our lives that are safe enough to where that isn't going to happen. But it's, it's, it's literally almost putting yourself in their hands and saying, yeah. knowing what you know about me now, do you still love me? And we need to learn to find that affirmation. We have to build this skill. It's a, it's a muscle you have to exercise of being vulnerable and asking people, hey, now that you know, you know, how I handled this or, or what I was thinking, you know, do you still think I'm valuable? Do you still think I'm right for this role? And when you hear them say, absolutely, yes, you know, God loves you. We're with you. It just begins to build your confidence to where you can face some of these self-limiting beliefs and these negative realities with a lot more strength, knowing that, man, I'm known. People know me, you know. Uh, I'm not have to be afraid of anything. There's no skeletons in my closet. Mm -hmm. That's really significant. 
I like that one, Nick. Okay. Yeah. makes me want to hear the next one. What's number two? Yeah. So the next one that kind of feeds into this is just, it's a phrase or an idea that I think can be adopted by anybody that's working on something that's hard. And all of us who are in missions know that's essentially our job. We're, we're trying to bring change to places that aren't just easy. And so it's the idea that I'll never change or things will never change. And, and really what it is, is it's a fixed mentality versus a growth mentality. And any of us can kind of fall into this. I hear myself say stuff like this all the time. I, there's a phrase, you know, never say always and never. <laughs> it's kind of ironic to say, that is the truth. But, but it's true. And I always try to avoid that because it's just such a fixed way of thinking. You know, this will never change or I'm never going to be good at this or, you know, we're never going to get funding for this or these people are never going to, uh, you know, receive what we're trying to do to min in ministry for them or they always tell us that they don't want us around, you know, and so it's it can be really negative, you know, to think like this, but it, I think it can affect all of us. And uh, and and so we just get into this this pattern of belief to where we slowly start to accept uh, a reality that's not true and uh, that God can't step in and change. And I think at the heart of it is uh, a lot of people have a hard time admitting when things are outside of our control that we, we have we tried everything and, and nothing's working, you know. And so that's that. But that's where the, the power of God comes in, where we say, God, I have no idea. I've tried. I have tried everything. And it feels like this will never change. But I do know that you can make a way where there is no way. I do know that you can turn things around and that somehow you can help me figure this thing out. Uh, but it, it can be just a way of thinking that we can sink into and on a daily basis, even just this idea that I've got this issue. It's never going to go away. Or especially when we try something, maybe we try to do it a different way and we get the same result. And you can just start to just be dejected by saying that I'm never going to break through here or this is never going to work or these knuckleheads are never going to listen to me. <laughs> you know, I appreciate but the, the reality of what you're saying there in terms of that, those feelings. Because those yeah. are really real feelings. Yeah. And yet what you're saying is a really sobering, Nick, because you're saying when we say those things, we're essentially looking at God and saying, you can't fix this. This yeah. is too big for you. God, I finally found the thing that is too big for you. Yeah. And what a sobering thought yeah. that we would be not just feeling that way, but projecting that shit, you know, mm -hmm. saying that to God, telling him what he can and can't do. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's just that I, I do feel like this is something that people who are uh, on the missions field or just in ministry, we are just constantly trying to bring change to things that don't really want to change. You know, I mean, yes, people on the whole, they they have their moments where they're like they come in your office and they sit down and say, help me. I want to change. Most of the time, it's the opposite. You're trying to slowly coach people and getting them to kind of accept you need to change, <laughs> you know, and so. It's just hard. The work that we do is hard. And and so therefore, it's easy to fall into this thinking that I don't know if I'm ever going to see anything different happen here. You know, it's just always going to be like this or, uh, you know, this is my lot in life. And so then 10 years go by with some people and they become bitter and reluctant. And and it's it's really sad. Nick, you know, what that's making me think, too. Sometimes when I've wanted to change something and it hasn't changed. I've realized the change didn't need to take place there, but it mm -hmm. needed to take place in me. Yeah. So there are moments when when we're trying to change something that 
is not supposed to be changed. Mm-hmm. And so we're hitting up against a brick wall and it's not that it can't be changed. It's not meant to be. And so sometimes yeah. it's a moment to look internally and say, Lord, I mean, even in a relationship, you think about a relationship where one person is trying to change the other person. And so sometimes it's time to look a little bit introspectively and go, okay, God, maybe I'm coming at this from a different angle. Yeah. How can I look at myself? Oh, that's really good. Really good. I think about Romans 12, you know, we all know the scripture, right? That, that, you know, uh, don't conform to the patterns of this world. I was just giving this illustration to my daughter the other night and she had some silly putty she was playing with. I was trying to explain to her, what does conform mean? You know, we were trying to talk to her about conforming. And so I said, oh, hey, this is a perfect example. I said, give me your silly putty. So I took her silly putty. I made it really flat. And then she was sitting with her knee. And so I put it over her kneecap and I pushed on it. And then I opened it up. I said, look at this. You know, it looks like your knee, right? Like that putty conformed. It took shape of your knee. And I said, that's what the writer, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, don't take the shape of the pattern of this world, the thinking of this world. And then what do you say? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Or I think the NLT says that um, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And so that's ultimately what we have to do. That's what a growth mindset does is, you know, instead of saying fixed mindset of like, it's like this or it's like this. um, I tell people all the time, like for me, one of the most relieving things that ever happened to me when I was going through an intense season of growth is I felt so much relief by just being able to tell my wife, my kids, my, my coworkers, hey guys, I'm growing. Like that was it for me. And it, it relieved me so much to just kind of accept that I'm growing. Like I'm a work in progress and I don't have to have it all worked out by next Friday or, and, and I don't even know, maybe I won't even get to where I thought I would be, you know, in the next 10 years. But the, the, for me, the point is I'm just growing. I'm like, I'm in God's hands, you know, I'm letting myself be changed by the way I think you know, and letting God shape me, conform me, transform my mind. And um, so it's easier said than done. <laughs> we, have to, we have to isolate these, these patterns of thinking. And, mm-hmm. and you know, when, when they kind of come through our mind, grab them, you know, and go, whoa, whoa, what was that? You know, be more aware of them. Yeah, which so often I think can take place in community really well, because when we're trying to change, having other people's voices, uh, maybe show us blind spots, point things out to us. Um, I think of something I tried to change when we moved to Peru is I was a very timely person. I liked everything to be on time. And that is not Latin American culture. It's event orientation, not time orientation. And I felt frustrated when people were late and I thought they were lying to me because they said they would be there and they weren't. And I realized it was not up to me to change that. That was a beautiful part of culture in the sense that once people did come up, or did come and showed up, they were so fully present and fully there in a way that I had never experienced. So there are times when it's great to work for change externally or internally. And then there's times where it's great to accept that God's doing something different. And how can I participate in what that is going back to your your growth mindset? How can I grow into what God has for me? Um, Such a good point. Okay, what's number three? So the last one, and I think this this tends to be if if you're a leader of an organization of a ministry or of an, a department of a ministry, I think this one can sneak into everybody at all times. And it's this idea that it's all up to me, um, that if no one does this, if I don't do this, no one else will. If I don't make this happen, it's never going to happen. 
And I think it, it actually can be somewhat toxic in the infusion of some of our own theology, because sometimes we don't realize we fall into this sort of servant or slave mentality with the father, where we almost feel like he is the one saying like, hey, I gave you this vision. I entrusted you with these resources, with these people. I sent you to this country. You know, what are you doing with it? And so we just internalize this. We, we, we build up this conversation hypothetically with God. And then we begin to take on this idea like, what's well, all up to me? God expects me to do X, Y, Z. Or God expects me to have this done by this, this amount of time. And if I don't do it, I'm letting him down. I'm letting other people down. And there's definitely, God is, God is all about accountability, but from a place of love and acceptance, you know? And so I see this all the time with leaders. It, it just kind of comes out, you hear it, you know, and this is why a lot of people don't take a day off. They don't rest. They don't take a Sabbath because they think, man, if I'm not in there getting things done, it isn't going to get done. And so we then become kind of like the masters of our own domains. And in some ways we kind of elbow God out of the way. And we're saying, well, I don't really need God. I mean, like he, he and, and I thought this for years when I led this nonprofit is just God gave me the skills and the qualities and the, and the giftings, the anointings, whatever you want to call it, lead this organization. And the board expects me to get this stuff done. And then I just took on this idea. Then so does God. And so therefore it leads to isolation emotionally because you're the only person that can determine your success. And unfortunately, you know, most of us aren't that good, you know, as leaders. <laughs> and so we mess up. And so then who's the only person that we can blame ourselves? So then we get into this really ugly self-talk with ourselves of, man, you screwed up again? Oh, well, I got to fix this. I got to fix this, you know? And so then what does it do? It leads to a lack of vulnerability. And it goes back to kind of what we talked about early already. Pride. We can't be vulnerable because we think they, they expected me to do this and I screwed up. You know, and so it, it's what I call and a lot of people call catastrophic think. It's just we think things and we internalize things on these really catastrophic levels. And this is where you hear things like I'll never change or that's never going to happen. Um, and we think these big, big looming clouds. And instead of saying, hey, other people can help, you know, and if I don't get this right, that's OK. Um, you know, someone else could come around and help guide me. And so. It's just a way that we limit ourselves and we in tricking ourselves into different variations of thinking that it's all up to us. And it's just not, it's not all up to us. We, we are servants, but more than that, we're sons and daughters and God yeah. wants a loving son and daughter relationship with us. And yes, he wants us to be fruitful, but he doesn't want, he's not looking to kill us in order for us to be fruitful. And I think sometimes we don't make that integration. We go too far with it as leaders and, and in ministry and missions, it's just so easy to do that because you've got donors who are asking you what's going on. You know, how many people came to that event? You know, when are you launching this? You know, when's the next time you're going to do this outreach? And you just take on this, this thought that like, I, if I don't get this done and if I don't do it right, then, you know, it, it only I can do it. And it just sneaks in on us. That is a heavy burden to bear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so considering these things, Nick, what would be, for people who are listening, what would be one small step that missionaries could take to begin to put some of what we talked about into practice? I think um, one is just being aware 
of what you're thinking, how you're saying, you know, like I said, the stories that you tell yourselves. I was actually talking to my daughter last night about this. And I, I said, you know what? Um, I said one month, I decided to just give myself some homework. And I wanted to become more aware of what was going on inside me, inside my head, inside my heart. And so I said three times a day, I asked myself, okay, nine o'clock, 12 noon and 8 p.m., whatever, pick, pick times. I asked myself three times a day, what am I feeling right now? Or how am I feeling right now? Because I'm not a person that's really, I, I, I wasn't naturally kind of prone to being aware of what was going on inside me and my own thought patterns. You know, I just, I'm like always processing things. And it was so, it was so helpful for me to just stop and begin to go, okay, what am I feeling right now? And then I would kind of work through um, what was going on and I'd come to a kind of a conclusion. And then every once in a while, I would sort of test that out, like with my wife or with somebody else and just say, I think I feel kind of anxious. And I think I'm feeling anxious because I've scheduled this lunch like three months ago. And I don't know, I don't really want to go, you know, <laughs> and so it's making me anxious and I'm a little bit antsy. And so I think it's becoming aware of what's going on in our heads, what's going on in our hearts, and then really developing these like real relational components, like finding people in our lives that yeah. are safe, trustworthy, and just begin kind of flexing the muscle and exercising vulnerability and, and just opening up and saying, Hey, um, I've just been thinking, like, I don't think this is ever going to change. Could you, could you speak into that for me? You know, yeah. or I'm feeling like if I don't get this done, it's all going to be screwed up. Could you, could you give me a different story? Is there a different story I should I should be thinking of. So we just need one another. Okay, and what a good link then. So you're talking about first becoming aware because as you said, it doesn't matter if somebody's hyperly self-aware. Most yeah. people don't know what's going on inside their heads. Yeah. It's interesting that you, your question was, how am I feeling right now? So about maybe two or three years ago, um, I had heard something somewhere and, and had the very same question. So I put an alarm on my phone for five times a day and the alarm said, what are you thinking right now? And so mine was a wow. thinking. I wanted to catch some yeah. of those tape recorder statements that were going through my head. And I did it for maybe two weeks. And I remember at the end, I sat down and I analyzed it for patterns. And it was really, really yeah. interesting. And, and what you're doing is so good because I hadn't really thought, I don't know that I did this when I, when I tracked mine. But you took your feelings and then you brought them to a safe relationship and you processed them. And I think that would have been a good thing for me to even do too. I just was like, oh, this is really interesting to see what it is that I'm thinking. And I took it to the Lord. Yeah. But to your point, yes, take it to the Lord, but also yeah. take it to people. And when you get in the habit of asking yourself, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? It becomes a little bit more natural. You suddenly start hearing the things you're saying to yourself. And you have words that you can put before somebody and say, hey, I'm saying this. Is this true? Do you, yeah. do you see this in me? Or yeah. some things we can just look at and go, this is obviously not from the <laughs> Lord. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's true. And, and I think it really is, you know, for people in, in, in a missions world, in a ministry world, uh, we really, we have a hard job. And I think sometimes we maybe even minimize how hard it is. It's okay to, to actually like say out loud, this is really hard, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you don't have to pretend like it's not or that you're on a spiritual high all the time. And, and so it's really tough for us to really open up our, you know, cloak, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, and, but we need to practice it. 
because ministry is all about people. You know, it's all about that's our end product, right? Is people. And so we need people to help us too. And I think that's, that's one of the main things I see a lot when we get, you know, when we sit across from a ministry partner and they're telling us, Hey, uh, you know, we're so excited about this project and we're so it's going to do the X, Y, Z, and it's going to reach all these people and et cetera. And then I just begin to ask them, well, how are, how are you doing? You know, well, you know, and usually when it starts like that, well, you know, <laughs> you actually do know that there's some things there that are, you know, weighing them down. And, and so being aware and then feeling comfortable really talking about what's really going on, um, it's just so healthy. And, and I just really would love to wave a magic wand over all the people that I love and just help them you know, start to step into some of this stuff because yeah. it, it's just going to make your life so great. And I, here's, here's like a little last little bit of, of, of a hack. So when I started applying these same things in my own life, um, one of the things I began to realize is just how unaware I was of my own thinking, like you just said, my own feeling. And so I said, Lord, you know, you're going to have to teach me because I've lived so long ignoring all this stuff that's been blinking at me on my little dashboard and or minimizing it and saying it's not important. And so mm-hmm. I just was reminded of the words of David in Psalm 139 when when he cries out to God and he says, Lord, search me and know me. And then he says, point out any offensive path within me and lead me along a path of everlasting life. So I used to just go for walks every morning and I would just hold my hands up as I walked around the neighborhood and I said, Lord, search me and know me. Like, I need you to take a flashlight and point anything out in me that's offensive, that's unhealthy, that isn't fruitful. And then, then is it, you know, God isn't just going to go, aha, right there. Then what does it say? Lead me along a path of everlasting life. I want everlasting life. I want my ministry to be healthy. I want my family to be healthy. I want it to be life everlasting. And so as I just began doing that, it was amazing how God would bring things to my mind. Just as I prayed that scripture every day. And it was sort of like, I just said, Lord, open me up and take a flashlight in the inside of my heart and just find stuff that I would never find on my own. And so uh, that that just worked for me. And it might not work for everybody, but it really worked for me. And it really started leading me into some really healthy places. I think that is such a perfect verse to summarize what we talked about today. That really is. Um, and I, I appreciate it today because you pointed out three of the self-limiting beliefs that you've seen most in your life, in other leaders, just in people in general. And then you've also given everybody a practical tool, a way to discover what some of their own private personal ones are. I mean, as they say, there's nothing new under the sun. So all the weird thoughts that we have, we can we can be guaranteed that there are other people having the same weird thought. But the, the enemy comes after us all in unique and very personal ways. So these are some of the common ones. So we can say, hey, these are common temptations. These are common things the enemy is saying. And then what are some of those other things that he's coming at me with? And so, and so that's something that, that people can take a look at. They can take a look at these three things, and then they can start to pay attention throughout the day. What other things that I'm saying to myself, how can I challenge those uh, and see if they line up with the Word of God? How can I present them in community and see how I can start believing more of what God said about me? That was great. Thank you so much for sharing that today, Nick. Yeah, my honor. It really was. Yeah. Well, and we will be posting show notes. So for anybody who wants to find out a bit more about what we talked about, 
they can dig into that uh, later. Nick, how can people get in contact with you or find out about what you're doing through Gateway Center for Israel? Yeah, if, if anybody that's listening wants to reach out, I'd be happy to hear from anybody, whether it's a question about anything we do on a ministry level or just a personal question. You can go to centerforisrael.com and check out what we're doing there. And then you can send me an email from there if you want to as well. It'll, it'll come to me quickly. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Nick, so much for sharing today. And for everybody who listened, we appreciate you joining us and make sure to tune in for our new episode. Since 2008, Modern Day Missions has been providing financial, administrative, and marketing services to Christian missionaries around the globe. We're currently partnered with more than 750 missionaries in 75 different nations. If you or someone you know are looking for a nonprofit covering to fulfill your mission's vision, Modern Day could be the answer you're looking for. Find out more at modernday.org.